0: The movie Babette's Feast tells a story of a French woman named Babette who came to live and work for two sisters in a small fishing village on the coast of Denmark, and after years of cooking and cleaning for them, she finds out that she has won the lottery in Paris for 10,000 francs. Uh, the sisters, when they hear this, they're, they're happy for her, but they kind of realize that this probably means that Babette will be returning to Paris with her new winnings. Um, but so just after winning, Babette uh, asks the sisters if she can cook a real French feast for them. Um, it's the, it was the 100th anniversary of their father's birth, and so for that special occasion, she wanted to really show them what a real French meal was all about. So they agreed, and over the next few weeks, all of a sudden, these strange shipments began arriving in their small town, Um, crates of animals and champagne and wines of the finest vintage and other rare ingredients arrived. And as Babette began to prepare the the preparations for this feast, and people were just wondering, buzzing about what is going on here, finally the night of the dinner arrives, and uh, and, and so the members of this town come, and, and one of the invited guests was a general from the royal palace. And so as, as course after course comes, this general, as he's tasting this food, he's just amazed and exclaiming about how wonderful this, this food is. Um, others, the others at the table kind of were trying to be reserved uh, in the midst of this but over time they just the the atmosphere and the food just began to have this effect on them as it warmed their hearts as they begin to speak of old times and the the general gets up and makes this speech about grace before the meal is over just this kind of wonderful communal moment that happens over this 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 meal and so in the final scene of the movie babette is sitting in the kitchen completely exhausted from preparing this meal And one of the sisters comes up to her and tells her just how lovely a dinner it was and how they will always remember that night when Babette has gone back to Paris, assuming that, again, that she's going to be going home. And Babette tells them that she's not going back to Paris, that her friends and relatives have been killed or imprisoned, and and it would just be way too expensive to return there. And the sisters ask, well, but what about those 10,000 francs you won in the lottery? I mean, of course, that would allow you to be able to go home. And then, Babette drops this bombshell. She has spent her winnings, every last franc, on that feast that they had just eaten. And she tells them not to be shocked, because this is what a proper dinner for 12 people costs at the Café Anglais in Paris where she was the head chef in this extravagant cafe in Paris. Babette gave this extravagant dinner, completely free of charge, to the people of this small fishing village, who didn't even realize the richness of what they were eating at the time. But she she did it. it. It cost her everything, all of her winnings. She gave it all, but she did it out of love. For the people there. This summer, we've been going through a sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And today, we're finishing this series by looking at one last encounter. And it's an encounter that involves the same kind of extravagant giving that's shown in Bebet's feast. Over the past two Sundays, we've looked at John chapter 11, where Jesus, first, we saw a couple weeks ago, he encounters Two sisters, also Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died. And he encounters them in the midst of their grief and their disappointment and and meets them in in the midst of that. And then last Sunday, we saw how Jesus then raised Lazarus from the dead, um, bringing life to to this dead man. And so today we're going to look at one more encounter that Jesus has with this family Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They're all there at this moment, at this, this dinner. And we're going to see uh, what it shows us about extravagant giving, which is the title of my sermon this morning. How do we see extravagant giving? What does that mean for us to to show extravagant giving in our lives? So our text today is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. You can follow in your your Bibles, the Pew Bibles, or we'll have the verses on the screen. So John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Open our ears and our hearts to receive from you today, Lord, that we might hear your word clearly and you would apply it to our lives and to our hearts, God. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. In today's text, we see a sharp contrast between two individuals, Mary on the one hand and Judas on the other. And so we're going to look at this contrast, especially as it relates to each of their perspectives on giving. So we're going to start by looking at two approaches to giving that we see kind of represented by these two individuals. The first is Mary's approach. What is Mary's approach to giving that we see here? Uh, we see it primarily in verse 3, which reads, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There are a couple of things to notice here about Mary's approach to giving that we see in this verse. Uh, first, the thing that we see about Mary's approach is that it is generous And overflowing. Mary takes this this pint of pure nard, which the text tells us was an expensive perfume. This was was extremely expensive, and it was was a good amount, a a pint of it. We find out later that it was worth a year's wages. It was it was it cost as much as it would as, as the amount that you would work over the course of an entire year's salary. And what does she do with it? She pours it all on Jesus. She pours it on Jesus' feet. She doesn't just sprinkle a little bit. She pours out the whole thing so that the house, it says, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's just overflowing, it's overwhelming. Can you imagine purchasing a bottle of perfume with an entire year's worth of salary? Just purchasing it and then pouring all of it out on one person on one occasion? This is generous, overflowing, extravagant giving. It's just like Babette preparing that one time feast that cost 10,000 francs. It's overwhelming, it's generous. Another thing that we notice about Mary's approach is that it is humble. And selfless. Mary pours the perfume on Jesus' feet and then wipes them with her hair. The act of touching um, or washing someone's feet was a humble, lowly act. In just the next chapter in John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and Peter objects to this because it was such a, a lowly position. He says Jesus, you can't wash my feet. That's the act of a servant. But here, Mary is taking that place of a servant in relation to Jesus. She comes near to his feet, and she anoints them and wipes them with her hair. And the fact that she wipes them with her hair also shows a humility and actually a selfless attitude. In that culture at the time, women did not typically let their hair down in public. And so for Mary to do this, to lay, let down her hair in order to, to wipe Jesus' feet, meant that, that she would be... Probably judged and criticized for that. That was just not done. But Mary doesn't care about that. She's not thinking about herself. She's not thinking about her reputation. She's thinking about Jesus. She's selfless. She's humble. And that that brings us to the third aspect of Mary's approach to giving is that she is motivated by love and gratitude. Mary wants to give to Jesus. There's no one forcing her to. She doesn't feel an obligation to. She is just overwhelmed with love and gratitude for Jesus that she just pours this out upon him. Remember what had just happened in the chapter before. Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. And he had wept with her in the midst of her grief. Jesus had come near to Mary, wept with her. He cared for her. That family. And so she knew how much Jesus loved her and her family. And she she's just overwhelmed that she wants to show him how much she loves him in return. That she pours this out, this extravagant gift upon him. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of this kind of giving, or if you've seen it in action, this kind of just overwhelming, extravagant giving. Um, But I'm always amazed at, at people who give like this. About a week ago, I drove down to Mount Holly, New Jersey, to visit the family of a pastor that I knew who had just died of cancer. Um, back when I was in seminary, this pastor, Pastor Phil, reached out to me to make sure that I was adjusting okay. He, he kind of heard about me uh, from, from a mutual friend, and he wanted to just sort of take me under his wing a little bit that, that first year. And so he invited me down to their, their home, um, you know, and, and just kind of welcomed me into their family. And and he found out kind of one of the, during one of these visits that I didn't own a car at the time. And so he said, well, do you need a car? I said, well, it, it might be helpful. And so he let me drive one of their cars for almost a year until I was able to buy my own. He was always doing things like that. He was always looking for people in need, people who had some, and just looking for ways to bless people. And to give generously to people who had needs. And the thing was that, that the way that he gave, it was just, with, it was just kind of quiet, with humility. He wouldn't make a big fanfare out of it. He just did it. And, and I knew, you could tell, that the way that he gave, it flowed out of his love for Christ. It was a deep response to Christ's love for him that he just wanted to give to people generously. But then we see a very different approach to giving. In our text, when we turn to Judas. What is Judas's approach to giving? Well, in verses 4 through 5, we read, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. In contrast to Mary's generous, overflowing, giving, Judas' approach is much more calculated and utilitarian. Um, Judas is very concerned with the monetary value of this perfume and how this money should be most effectively used. And so on the surface, his question's, it's not a bad question, right? It's, It's kind of a legitimate question. What's the most effective use? Isn't it kind of a waste to pour out this expensive perfume on one person at one point of time? Couldn't it have been better used to, to help hundreds of poor people? We'll see in just a minute that, that this question is actually a, a cover for a much more selfish motive that Judas has for even asking this question. But even on the surface, before we get to that, that deeper, what's underlying that question... Even on the surface, this question reveals a very different approach to giving than Mary's. It's one that's concerned with effectiveness, maximizing impact. It's driven by facts, calculations, comparisons. You know, I just can't imagine Mary thinking, I wonder if pouring out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet is the most effective use for it. What are some other alternatives? that I should consider first. Mary's not asking those kind of questions, right? She just gives freely and generously. It just flows out of her. Judas is, is much more calculating. Another aspect of Judas' approach is that unlike Mary's humble, selfless act, Judas's act is prideful and self-important. Judas looks down, on Mary. He thinks she's being wasteful and foolish. And he assumes that he has the answer to what should have been done in this situation. He, he assumes that this, this she doesn't know what she's doing. I'm the one that knows what to do with this, this money. And that reveals pride in him. He's judging her. He's, he's, he, he's sort of putting himself above her. And by doing this, Judas takes the focus off of the one who is to be worshipped, Jesus. And he puts it on himself. While Mary gets low to Jesus' feet, Judas kind of stays aloof and judges from afar while well, Mary, she's not concerned about what other people think of her. She just, she's going to lower her hair and wipe his feet. She doesn't care because she's not thinking about herself. Judas, on the other hand, is drawing attention to himself. He's wanting to show how he's right, how, how she's wrong. And his suggestion about giving money to the poor isn't really about helping the poor at all. It's about criticizing Mary and lifting himself up. And verse 6 tells us that it's even about something deeper than that. It's even more blatantly selfish than that. In verse 6 we read, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas's idea about selling the perfume to give money to the the poor was actually just a way for him to get his hands on some of that money to benefit himself. So Judas' approach, whereas whereas Mary's approach is motivated by love and generosity and and gratitude, Judas's is motivated by self-interest. He's only thinking about giving in a way that will benefit him. He's not thinking about Jesus. He's not thinking about the poor. He's thinking about himself. Now, I don't think that any of us would want to admit that our approach to giving is maybe closer to Judas's approach than Mary's, right? I mean, Judas betrayed Jesus. He was stealing out of the disciples' money bag. But when you look at our world, at our society... The norm in our world is much closer to Judas's approach. Our society values efficiency and maximizing impact. I can imagine a reality TV show where Mary and Judas each present their plan for the best use of this bottle of perfume kind of like Shark Tank right where they're trying to they're they're debating you know bidding for who's going to get this and so i can imagine a conversation so judas you want to sell the bottle and impact the lives of many poor people in our society that sounds incredibly altruistic and impactful and mary uh, your approach is you want to pour the entire bottle onto the feet of a local rabbi um i think we're going to go with judas's approach on this I mean, that's, that's what makes sense, right? That's the way that our society works. You do what's effective. You do what's efficient. That's just too extravagant. Mary's approach, it does seem foolish and wasteful and overly extravagant. I mean, couldn't she have shown her love for Jesus in a more practical and useful way? And even if, if Judas does take some money off the top, I mean, doesn't his approach still benefit the poor? Does it really matter if his motivation is is more self-centered? In our world, there's there's almost the assumption that the only way to get people to give is to convince them that there's something in it for them, to appeal to their self-interest. Charitable giving gives you a tax deduction. If you give a certain amount to a nonprofit organization, you get your name listed as having given at that level. We volunteer our time expecting that we're going to be recognized, that we're going to be shown appreciation for what we've done. We may not help ourselves to the money bag, but our motivation for giving is often self-centered. Many times our giving isn't primarily about helping the other person or even about showing our gratitude to God. Often it's about how we benefit. From it, You know, I often find myself getting into this mindset. I, I can take out the trash or do the dishes after dinner or take our dog Willow for a walk. And if Rochelle doesn't notice or thank me, you know, verbally for doing that, I start to feel kind of some resentment in me. You know, why didn't she notice that I did that? And it becomes very apparent that I wasn't doing these things out of love for my wife, Or out of gratitude to God, I was doing them for my own benefit, to be thanked, to be appreciated. I was really doing them for myself. I don't want to admit this, but I am often more like Judas than Mary. So how does Jesus respond to these two approaches? How does he encounter Mary and Judas? Let's look at Jesus' response. In verses 7 through 8, we read, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. How does Jesus respond? He lifts up Mary and admonishes Judas. He tells Judas to leave Mary alone. Don't criticize her, Judas. Don't bash her extravagant giving, even if it wasn't the most effective use of that. He praises her extravagant gift. And he actually criticizes Judas for his suggestion. Now, some people have kind of misinterpreted that response, have taken... Jesus' response here as a justification to not care about giving to the poor. You will always have the poor among you, so why give to them? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, Jesus is actually referring to a passage from Deuteronomy, chapter 15, verse 11, which reads, There will always be poor people in the land, therefore I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. The fact that there will always be poor people means that there will always be a need to give generously to those who are poor. That need will, will, will always be there, and it's important that we meet it. Throughout his ministry, Jesus cared for the poor. He called his disciples to do the same. So Jesus is not criticizing the idea of giving to the poor. But in this instance, he sees through Judas's suggestion. He knows that, that Judas wasn't criticizing Mary out of a deep love and concern for the poor. He saw Judas's pride. He saw Judas's self-interest. He saw Judas's desire to lift himself up here. And on the other hand, he saw Mary's heart of love and generosity. He saw that she was not giving this extravagant gift to benefit from it herself to be seen publicly for doing this extravagant gift. Her heart was that she was giving out of love and gratitude to Jesus. And in fact, he saw something else in Mary's gift here. He saw her act as a preparation for his burial. Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. And this event, we see at the very beginning of the passage, happens six days before the Passover. Six days before Jesus' last supper with his disciples. On the night before he died on the cross. Jesus says, you will not always have me. And he felt the immediacy of that. That was coming quickly. They would not have him. And here's the amazing thing in what Jesus was about to do. Jesus was on his way to the cross in order to die for Judas's self-centered approach to giving. He was going there to pay for Judas's sin of stealing from the money bag and even for Judas's betrayal. Back in John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist called out, "Look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was going to the cross to be the sacrificial lamb who would pay for the sin of the entire world, which included Judas and the religious leaders who would have him arrested and sentenced to death in just a few short days. From the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus died so that the people who crucified him could be forgiven. And the same thing goes for you and me. What is Jesus' response to our self-centered, calculated, less-than-extravagant giving? He dies for us. He forgives us. He pours himself out completely for us. He humbles himself, coming near to our dirty, sinful feet, and washes them clean. He gives to us in a generous, overflowing, selfless, extravagant way. Where is the extravagant giving? The most extravagant giving in this passage It's Jesus, what he's about to do. And we don't deserve it at all. But he is motivated by self-sacrificing love and mercy for us. And the fragrance of his life poured out and broken for us fills the room. This is how Jesus responds to our self-centered approach to giving. Not by condemning us, but by dying for us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I'm speechless. I'm humbled. And all I can think about is getting down on my knees and saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you. How can I not give Jesus all of myself? In response to that, how can I not give my time, my talents, my money, my obedience, my life to the one who gave everything for me? How can I think about whether giving this will benefit me or not when Jesus died to forgive and save me with no strings attached? No expectation of payment in return, he gave freely and abundantly. The only reason that Mary was able to give in such an extravagant way was because she had received Jesus' extravagant giving to her. He had raised her brother from the dead. And the only way that we will be able to give extravagantly like Mary is if we have experienced and received Jesus' extravagant love and giving to us. Judas, he never received Jesus' extravagant love for him. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus died for Judas. But Judas didn't receive that. Judas eventually felt remorse for his self-centered approach and his betrayal of Jesus, But instead of looking to Jesus for forgiveness, he ended his life because of his guilt and shame. He was overwhelmed with that sense of guilt that he destroyed himself because he couldn't imagine being forgiven. Judas, he couldn't get rid of his guilt on his own. But the thing is, he didn't need to because Jesus had already paid for that guilt on the cross Judas just couldn't accept that. So brothers and sisters, I want you to know today that your guilt has been paid for. That your selfishness, your lackluster giving has been paid in full. That you are forgiven. And that truth allows us to acknowledge our selfishness and our calculated giving, and admit our resistance to giving extravagantly. We can confess our sin to the Lord, and as we do, we can know that Jesus poured himself out on the cross to cover all of your sin. Believe the good news that you are forgiven, that you are cleansed, and know that the fragrance of Christ overwhelms the smell of your own sin. And then in response, let us give ourselves extravagantly to Jesus, as well as to our neighbor. And I know that 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 process of what does that look like practically, that takes some prayer and wrestling of how to give extravagantly. But a lot of it, again, has to do with our heart. Where is that gift coming from? How are we giving? Let us overflow with generosity with heartfelt gratitude and love, filled with that gratitude for the one who gave everything for us, who poured out his life unto death, and who gave himself extravagantly and selflessly for us. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we often are much more like Judas than Mary in our lives. That we often hold what we have close to ourselves or we, we resist giving fully. We, need, we feel like we need to protect something for ourselves, Lord. That we, and often even the ways that we do give or we're thinking about giving, Lord, are, are, are really more about ourselves and thinking about how others might perceive that, or what we might receive in return, and Lord, we confess that we are self-centered sinners, and then that self, self-centered nature, Lord, just infects everything that we do, and, and, and we come to you today, Lord, with humility, acknowledging, Lord, that we do not give perfectly, that we do not give extravagantly, we and we need you, Lord, to forgive us. And So we, we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for the ways that we don't give out of gratitude to you. And we resist giving, Lord. And, and we thank you, Lord, that, that as we come to you and confess our sins, we have that assurance that, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, That you that you gave so much of Yourself to us in order to pay for all of our sin and our selfishness and our failures, Lord, that, that You cover it all with the extravagant gift, Lord, Jesus, of Your life poured out on the cross for us. We Thank You that You were willing to do that, God, for selfish sinners like us. And Lord, as we receive that gift, that, that amazing gift of salvation poured out to us, Lord, let it transform our hearts, God. Change our hearts, Lord, to, to, to not not help but be able to just give and give and give in response to you, Lord, to give of our time, to give of our resources, to give where there is need, Lord, and to give it with, with joy and cheerfulness as we heard in 2 Corinthians today, Lord, that, that we would just be filled with so, such a great gratitude for the amazing gift of your Son, Lord, that, that we couldn't help but give boldly and extravagantly, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we seek to do that, Lord. Show us how to give well, but let us not be hindered by those questions, Lord. But let that giving flow overflow in our hearts, Lord, to bless others, to bless you, Lord, in response to your great love and your generosity to us. We thank you, God, for your indescribable gift, that you are this God who just pours out yourself on us. Again and again and again. We can't even imagine but how great, just how abundant your giving is to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you for being this gracious, giving, extravagant God. And we love you in response. In Jesus' name, amen.